South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Monday, March 14, 2022. Some residents of Darfur say calm has returned to Jebel Moon. <laughs> The situation today on the 14th of March is calm, but perhaps it's too early to tell because Darfur, and especially Jebel Moon, is experiencing an unstable security situation characterized by violations and crimes taking place under the watch of the military coup government against unarmed civilians residing in their villages, and these militias come and attack them without any problem. And the head of human rights at the UN mission in South Sudan says human rights abuses have been committed in the country. Witness accounts indicate that most of the victims were killed with machetes, knives, extreme brutality. And um, we've also um, found out that abduction was a key um, 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 consequence of the classes. Men and boys were abducted mainly for force recruitment and to carry um, looted items. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Authorities in Darfur say calm has returned to Jebel Moon locality in western Darfur state after a new wave of violence that left 19 people dead on Thursday. The Central Committee for Sudanese Doctors say 35 people died during the violence and 25 others were wounded when armed militiamen attacked civilians in the area and burned their villages. The United Nations has condemned the attack on civilians. A Darfur-based spokesperson for the General Coordination for Displaced Persons and Refugees says the situation remains tense and is calling on humanitarian organizations and rights groups to assist the people affected by the recent violence in Darfur. For VOA News, Nabil Biagio reports from Washington. The Special Representative of the UN Secretary General and Head of the United Nations Integrated Transition Assistance Mission in Sudan, Volker Perth, released a statement on Sunday saying, Over the past week, the United Nations has received reports of violent incidents in and around Jebel Moon in West Darfur. He said the violence included the burning of villages and the deaths of tens of Sudanese, representing another alarming sign of the increasing instability in Sudan. Perth said in the statement he is deeply concerned about the situation and is calling on Sudanese authorities to restore stability in the region. He also urged all parties to act with restraint to prevent further violence. Perth noted that the events in Darfur are taking place while violence in Khartoum continues. He said two protesters were killed during last Thursday's demonstration and ongoing excessive force is still being used against protesters. Violence must stop all over Sudan and those responsible must be held accountable, said Perth. Adam Rijal is spokesperson for the independent group the General Coordination for Displaced Persons and Refugees in Darfur told VOA on Monday while calm has returned to the area, the security situation remains uncertain.
Jebel Moon experienced a wave of violence in November last year when Arab nomads attacked farmers in the area. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs said at least 43 people were killed and 46 villages were burned and looted. Rijal says similar attacks resumed earlier this month. The attacks on the 3rd and the 5th left 16 people dead and 16 others wounded. On the 10th, 19 people were killed and 5 people were wounded. The total number of those killed in the month of March is 35, while wounded are 21. Besides that, more than four villages have been burned to the ground. The Central Committee for Sudanese Doctors released a statement on Saturday confirming the same numbers. Rijal says thousands of civilians have been displaced to neighboring Chad and are sheltering in Farchana refugee camps in eastern Chad. Rijal says what is happening in West Darfur's Jebel Moon appears to be more than just a tribal feud. He calls it a systematic campaign to displace the local population from the areas in a conflict over resources. The fighting in Jebel Moon is not tribal, but rather it's a conflict over resources. Someone wants access to these resources, and they are pitting some groups against others so that they can have the resources of the area. The assailants do not necessarily share a tribal affiliation. If they succeed in displacing the local population, then the government will come and have access to all the resources, including gold and other minerals. The area is also conducive to rearing livestock because of the fertile land with plenty of water. Rijal says the militiamen that attack the area come from different remote areas, including Niala in South Darfur, Zalinje in Central Darfur, and from beyond the border in neighboring Chad. He says they came with machine guns on the backs of pickup trucks and motorbikes and attacked villagers and looted their property. A 2020 peace agreement signed between Sudan's transitional government and rebel groups from Darfur provided for a special joint force to protect civilians in Darfur. The force has yet to be formed and deployed. Authorities in the Greater Pibora administrative area say armed men from neighboring Ethiopia attacked Jebelbuma County and killed two people. The chief administrator of the Greater Pibora administrative area says Seven children are missing following the attack. An official at the Ethiopian embassy in Juba says his office has no knowledge of the attack. Dengai Deng reports for VOA from Bor. Engage, maybe engage in any kind of uh, uh, killing. By any means, Ethiopian forces will not do this. Unless it is uh, some uh, uh, anti-peace elements which are, which are trying to operate over the border. Tihale says Ethiopia and South Sudan have been working to prevent scenarios under which communities living along the two countries' common border would attack each other. 
of course, there was a scenario when, in 2016 that happened. The, the Murules crossed the Ethiopian border and uh, they abducted some children and uh, they also uh, took some cattle over there. Uh, to avoid such incidents, as far as I know, the two countries, governments are working uh, in collaboration and in cooperation to avoid such incidents not to happen. It has been, I think now, uh, it has been a month that uh, Ethiopian uh, House of People Speaker visited Juba. Among the delegations, there were uh, neighboring states uh, in Ethiopian side, neighboring uh, regional governors uh, were among the delegation with the speaker. So when they visited Juba, they held talks on the ways to manage such incidents. So there is engagement, uh, the um, engagement between, between the two sides. In 2016, Ethiopia's military said it entered South Sudan and surrounded certain villages to search for more than 100 children who were abducted by armed young men from the Greater Pibor administrative area after the attacked villages in Ethiopia's southwestern Gambela region. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding. In Bor. A report released by the United Nations Mission in South Sudan and the UN Human Rights Office says hundreds of civilians were killed in South Sudan's Tombora County late last year. The report says between June and September last year, 440 civilians died during clashes with warring groups and 64 people were subjected to sexual violence, including a Tathenia-old girl who was raped to death. The head of the human rights for the United Nations mission in South Sudan, Musa Gassama, spoke with Ricky Shryok about the violence and how they hope it can be stopped. Witness accounts indicate that most of the victims were killed with machetes, knives, extreme brutality. And um, we've also um, found out that abduction was a key um, 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 consequence of the classes. Men and boys were abducted mainly for forced recruitment and to carry um, looted items. We've also documented conflict-related sexual violence during the, the, the classes between the armed groups. Um, we've documented about 64 cases of rape and other forms of conflict-related sexual violence. The youngest was a girl of 12 years. Who do you think is behind some of this violence? What are the reasons behind it? Well, it, um, it's, it's, it's a long story, but um, there have been pre-existing uh, factors um, or, 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 or cleavages between the Azande and the Balanda uh, communities in Western Equatorial State. Um, but um, local grievances um, related to land, relating to power, have always been there. But um, recently, we believe that um, these issues have been politicized and exacerbated and exploited by political actors. Is it hard to get information such as this outside of these areas? Are these areas quite isolated? No, the, the, the early signs were there from, for, for many, many, many uh, years. So we knew that this was a possible you know, uh, um, thing that um, would happen. You know, it, was not, uh, it didn't come as a surprise. And um, yes, it's not also unique in, in Tambura. There are quite a lot of areas across the country um, that um, that can be like this, you know. Grievances um, are always there, but um, as I said, um, people exploit or exacerbate um, um, such grievances 
and then this thing happens. So it's not a unique situation in the country. What can be done? Um, I know that's a big question, obviously, but what what do you think needs to be done to stop this and and allow, um, especially the women and children and, and men of Tambura County, and to live uh, with peace? Well, that is the purpose of the, the report: is to raise the alarm higher and also advocate for an intervention uh, to avoid a repetition of what happened in 2021. That's Musa Gusama, head of human rights for the UN mission in South Sudan. He was speaking with Ricky Shryok. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta endorses Raila Odinga as his preferred presidential candidate. Find out why after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. Is there such a thing as unconditional love? The reason why I say it's there, because I've seen my parents, and I've seen there is unconditional love in their relationship. Basing on the way, like, my dad treats my mom, the love is unconditional. No, 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 I don't think that. Uh, because uh, human, it's very difficult to predict human beings. So uh, human beings are just unpredictable. Anybody can change at any time. So that's why I, I believe there is no unconditional love. I'm one of the people who believe in real love, and therefore I believe in unconditional love. It exists. It's there. It's been exercised among people. And we have the ability to give unconditional love. So it's there. Honestly, I've not been there before, so I don't know much about it, but a lot of things that I've seen people are struggling to love each other. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Moudou. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta on Saturday endorsed his former arch-rival, opposition leader Raila Odinga, as the presidential candidate in this year's August general elections. The two leaders have had a long history of opposing each other at the ballot box. However, in 2018, Kenyatta and Odinga shocked the nation when they shook hands and declared a truce. Their agreement restored peace in the country following deadly post-election violence. Atieno Odiambo reports for VOA from Nairobi. For the first time in Kenya's history, the ruling party has declared support for an opposition leader. 77-year-old veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga was endorsed on Saturday as the presidential flag bearer ahead of the August 9 general polls. 
The decision was made for Azimio la Umoja or the Resolution for Unity Joint Movement, which is a coalition of at least 26 parties, including the ruling Jubilee Party. Speaking from Nairobi during the Azimio la Umoja National Delegates Convention, Odinga welcomed the endorsement, vowing to be a revolutionary leader with the mandate to ramp up the state of the nation. I accept this nomination with absolute gratitude and dedication to our people, our country, and all the leaders and parties that have endorsed this nomination. You have handed me a strong, broad, and unified platform to stand on and additional pairs of hands to help steady the ship. Azimio is a broad national democratic movement which puts premium on national unity, inclusive development, and transparent and accountable use of public resources. We'll use it to continue the struggle to eradicate poverty, ignorance, and disease that our nationalists initiated at independence, but still remains a work in progress. Incumbent President Uru Kinyata, who cannot vie again after having served two terms, lauded other parties for affirming Odinga's nomination, thus supporting his confidence in Odinga's leadership. The National Delegates Convention saw over 20 affiliate parties in attendance sign a coalition agreement to officially declare their support to the Azimio la Umoja or Resolution of Unity Alliance. President Kinyata told the delegates that he believes Odinga has the right leadership tools to elevate Kenya into a thriving and united nation as he had sacrificed personal interest to promote peace and stability in the country. He says, today we have gathered here as delegates from different political parties to nominate a flag bearer for our coalition, and without any opposition, we have nominated Right Honorable Raila Odinga to be the fifth president of Kenya, and I have no doubt that he is willing and capable, and God will use him to elevate Kenya into prosperity, unity, and Kenya will be a country that is recognized and respected worldwide. However, Odinga's endorsement did not sit well with Deputy President William Ruto and leaders allied to him, speaking in Thika on Sunday during a Kenya Kwanzaa or Kenya First Alliance campaign tour. Ruto claimed that President Kenyatta has betrayed him by endorsing Odinga instead of him, who stood by him during his times of need. Ruto added that he nevertheless forgives the president. He says, I have walked with you when you needed a brother by your side. Mr. President, you have maltreated me and my allies in the second term of our regime. You have broken our ruling Jubilee Party. You have called us names. But I want to let you know that we are the same people who walked with you during your presidential bid. We campaigned for you until you became president for two terms. We have noted everything you have done to us. But because we are God-fearing people, we forgive you and leave you to God. Observers say that after Saturday's event, the presidential race is a two-horse contest between opposition leader Rela Odinga of Azimio la Umoja, or Resolution of Unity Alliance, and Deputy President William Ruto of Kenya Kwanzaa, or Kenya First Alliance, ahead of the general polls, which are barely five months away. Odinga's 2022 bid will be the fifth after failed attempts in 1997, 2007, 2013, and 2017.
Atieno Odhiambo, VOA in Nairobi, Kenya. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. The World Health Organization and U.S. Centers for Disease Control say coughing and sneezing can spread COVID-19. Physical distancing, staying at least one meter away from people outside your family, can protect everyone. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. The United States has banned Russian energy imports and wants Saudi Arabia to increase oil production to mitigate a dramatic spike in gas prices. But just how willing Gulf states are to help bring oil prices down remains to be seen. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sain reports. Fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues to rattle global energy markets, punishing motorists and others who rely on fossil fuels. Days after U.S. President Joe Biden banned Russian oil, gas and coal imports. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson will also ban Russian oil from the U.K. by the end of 2022. The European Union relies on Russia for about 40% of its natural gas and about 25% of the oil it consumes. The 27 EU leaders agreed to cautiously phase out their dependency on Russian energy. Russian President Vladimir Putin blamed the U.S. and Europe for skyrocketing oil and gas prices and said they are now desperate to reach out to major oil-producing countries they had previously sanctioned. They are already trying at all costs to come to an agreement with the countries against which they themselves have imposed illegitimate restrictions. And they are ready to make peace with Iran and immediately sign all the documents, and with Venezuela. With prices at the gas pump surging, reports say President Biden reached out to Saudi Arabia. But Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has not taken his call. Biden did speak with Saudi King Salman on February the 9th. Relations between the United States and the Crown Prince have been strained since the brutal murder and dismemberment of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi in a Saudi consulate in 2018. Biden has pledged to make the Crown Prince a pariah. But Secretary of State Antony Blinken downplayed any Saudi snub of Biden and said there is encouraging news on oil production from the United Arab Emirates. It was just an announcement uh, a short while ago, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, been made publicly yet, about um, uh, Emirati support for uh, increased production when it comes to, uh, to OPEC+. Plus. Uh, which I think is a, an important thing to stabilize uh, global energy markets to make sure that uh, there remains an abundant supply of energy around the world. Experts tell VOA there are tensions between Biden and the Saudi crown prince. But Biden administration officials have been holding talks behind the scenes in Riyadh. Brian Katulas is vice president for policy with the Middle East Institute. I think the main concern is that at a time when gas prices 
are so high, and we're looking to get some cooperation from other countries, including close partners that get uh, and benefit from our security cooperation and assistance, that we would hope that they would do more uh, to help the United States. Katula said there is a risk for Saudi Arabia if it refuses to help bring gas prices down. Cindy Sane, VOA News. That's all we prepared for you this Monday. We now end the show with the song Rizigi by Jamnazi Africa. Nange 
mnatafuta usiku wake kwa waume shughuli zenu usiku hata safari nyingi mwafanya usiku biashara zote mwafanya usiku kwa nini We have been listening to Jamnazi Africa and the song Rizigi. I'm John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to always wash your hands with soap, practice social distancing and wear a mask when you're in public places to protect you and others from getting COVID-19. Do not escape from COVID-19 quarantine centers because there's no cure for coronavirus. Join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Sasa mwapo